Hey everybody, this is a bonus critical Q&A episode, and it's actually a not-so-critical Q&A. I haven't done a bonus episode midweek in a long time, way too long, uh, with university studies and my regular work and doing the clips and everything else. My schedule is pretty busy during the day, but um, I got a little downtime, and I've been wanting to do this for a while. And here's what's happening with this show today is I'm going to answer questions, but I'm going to answer questions from one guy. <laughs> I had, I sent out a request uh, months ago for more Flash Answers to come uh, for the Flash Answers segment of my show. So I would, you know, have these little quick, uh, short uh, questions and answers. And Travis, a regular viewer of mine who has called in and asked me some wonderful questions, uh, some real Scientology minutiae kind of questions, on my Critical Conversation show on Friday when we do our live call-in show, Travis and I have had some wonderful conversations. And he sent me a list of, well, uh, quite a few um, flash answers. And they've been sitting in my queue this whole time. And I thought, you know, maybe I should just do a single show and answer all of them. Some of them are pretty ridiculous, and <laughs> some of them aren't. Um, most of them are a little silly. So I'm just going to start at the top and in no particular order go down and give serious and not-so-serious answers to these not-so-critical questions. <laughs> some of them are Scientology-related, and some of them not. Here we go. Did you ever go to a rave in the 90s? No, I did not ever go to a rave in the 90s. I was a Scientology staff member through all of the 90s in Santa Barbara and then in the Sea Org from 1995 uh, forward. So no raves. But I will tell you a little funny story is that we filmed a rave. Uh, when I was in the Sea Org, they, uh, over at the Celebrity Center, they, f they were filming a um, anti-drug video. I think it was ecstasy or uh, meth or something. And they mocked up, they created a rave at the Celebrity Center in the in the um, pavilion, I believe, and they shot it there with Sea Org members dancing around, stripped down to their bras and tank tops and shirts and shorts, uh, pretending that they were at a rave. <laughs> so that's as close as I ever got. And I wasn't even at that shoot, but a, a friend of mine who I worked with was at that shoot. She told me all about it. Uh, I didn't have the right look for it. I was too old. Um, anyway, that's uh, my experience with raves. What would happen if a super flamboyant homosexual like Elton John were to go into a local Scientology org for services? Would he get chased out? Pretty much, yeah. Most of the people there uh, would be, I mean, unless he, unless this individual happened to go into a particularly, especially tolerant a chapter or organization of the Church of Scientology, they would find themselves getting a lot of weird looks, a lot of funny, oh, I don't know about this guy, right? Some flamboyant, you know, LGBT is, is definitely going to set off all of their red alarm, you know, fires, rock, rock, rock. And they're not going to be down with that. Um, and you and you could really, you'd, you'd be able to see it, actually. It'd be almost palpable. You could feel it in the air. At least the Scientologists I knew and I associated with and those the Scientology that I experienced, uh, we were really visibly uncomfortable around very flamboyantly gay people. Now, that was mostly, I'm going to comment on something here, though, um, that was mostly the guys. Females in the Sea Org that I knew didn't really have the same problem with 
homosexual men, uh, and especially flamboyant, you know, cross-dressers, transvestites, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I knew Sea Org women who loved um, Bacaja Fall and what was that Birdcage with Robin Williams? Um, you know, they just love those movies. So kind of interesting, right? Um, so you have a little bit of a of a, a mixed view there. And it might well be in today's day and age, as Scientology has been forced to conform more with society standards, or at least give the appearance that they are, um, it's entirely possible in all seriousness that somebody who is a very flamboyant homosexual might still be signed up for services and gotten started on lower level bridge stuff in Scientology. They really only start getting really hokey about that stuff um, when you start getting up to clear end of the confidential information. That's when they start really getting worried about whether somebody is uh, homosexual or not. I mean, they were already going to be concerned about it at the lower levels, as we've talked about, you know, uh, often. But, um, but it really becomes a barrier to you doing Scientology when you start approaching that confidential stuff. Would you ever drink any Ugandan moonshine? That's a real thing, by the way. Probably not. <laughs> I'm not a big alcohol guy, and the higher the uh, alcohol percentage or, or proof goes, um, the less inclined I am to want to have anything to do with it. So Ugandan moonshine, yeah, probably not so much. Did anyone in the Sea Org ever tell you that they had sensitive nipples? No. If given the opportunity to give official play-by-play -play at the National Arm Wrestling Championship for a major sports network with a national footprint, would you do it? I don't think I would because I have absolutely no qualifications whatsoever to talk about arm wrestling. That is definitely a niche that market that I am not in or even in the same universe as. I'm not, it's not only I'm not in the same niche, I'm not even in the same store in the same city in the same uh country as uh arm wrestling so <laughs> no how would an auditing session go with mike tyson pretty much as it would go with anybody else you know um it's not the brawn of the person that's going to get in the way of an auditor in an auditing session i mean say you know it could i mean that could happen but remember it's all up here Scientology's control and power over people has nothing to do with their physicality. It has to do with their mentality. And uh, I think Mike Tyson would be as controllable as anybody else when it comes to how you go about um, sort of insidiously, you know, invading their mind, finding their weak points, finding what it is that they respond to, what they love, what they hate, what they like, what they don't like. And then using those buttons to control and manipulate the person or manipulate and control the person is the actual sequence. But there you go. What percentage of Scientologists are black? This is a hard question. I don't actually know the exact statistical demographic data on that. Obviously, um, Scientology is very non-transparent when it comes to its demographics. Um, the last time they published anything um, that, that was public that you could see would be in the old uh, What is Scientology book. Um, yeah, I don't think it's even in the Scientology handbook. So that old What is Scientology book is like 1990s. 
I think it was the last time they ever did any any work on that, 80s or 90s. So, you know, but from my own experience, from my anecdotal experience, I can tell you maybe 0.05%. I mean, it's really small. Now, with the Nation of Islam added in, that's the question for me. I don't know currently how much of that is overlapping because you see in a lot of promo pieces from various churches around the United States, Nation of Islam members who are obviously black. And um, and they seem to kind of be prominent. But I don't know if just because they're featured in the promo, that reflects an actual percentage change in the population or if they're just promoting this small minority to make it look like there's more blacks involved in Scientology than there are. Hard for me to say. Do you think Gary Busey, the Hollywood actor, would be a good spokesman for Scientology? Poor Gary Busey. You know, the guy had uh, drugs and a motorcycle or car accident, and he's clearly, you know, damaged. And, uh, you know, it, it, but of course, he's also the judge on um, pet court. <laughs> so if you can find that, you can look that up. That's a thing. Uh, so, yeah, he might he might be a little bit too far gone to be Scientology's spokesperson. What kind of bagels do you like? <clears throat> I like the kind that have everything on them. Uh, and then I like plain. <laughs> so garlic and herbs, you know, stuff like that. I like, I like kind of spiced up stuff. Um, if I'm going to have a plain bagel, then the stuff inside the bagel needs to be a little spicy. Have you ever met any reptilians? Not that I know of, but you never know, right? What do you think about chiropractors? I think chiropractors are um, using a methodology that was invented by a pseudoscientist who really had no idea what he was doing. And I think that over the years, various chiropractors or people who are really serious about, you know, adjusting bones and looking at how a, a, a skeletal structure is put together have made some discoveries or some, you know, useful um, methods in helping people be a little bit more comfortable from time to time. I've had some chiropractic work that definitely helped adjust some things on a temporary basis, but I have never looked at um, chiropractic as something that is um, a science. It's a pseudoscience. It is not, um, you know, a, a peer-reviewed, well under, well, not understood, but well founded um, part of medical science. It's 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 very wooey. It's very goofy, and there's a lot of claims made in the world of chiropractic that connect to new age crystal healing, magnetic resonance crap, nonsense, pseudoscience. And I resent the hell out of that when people are trying to put it forward as some, you know, accurate, correct, peer-reviewed discipline of medicine, and then they're connecting it with, um, oh gosh, what's that uh, called? Um, anyway, just all the goofy pseudoscience that that is a, that is around it. It's like a magnet for it, and that tells me that there's uh, more woo than fact connected with chiropractic. So I've I've always been super, super skeptical about all the claims of chiropractic. And I have never really regarded it as anything other than something that will give you some temporary relief or um or you know re like relief from stress or suffering. 
Um, but it's not going to cure anything. Nothing like that. Would you ever purchase a hamburger from a restaurant located at a bus station? Sure, I have. <laughs> I've been on a bus a lot. Uh, when I was in California, I took Greyhound all over the place, uh, back and forth from Santa Barbara to L.A., from from L.A. to other places from time to time. Um, when I took off um, for those for those uh, three or five, I think it was about four or five days when I was in Santa Barbara, not in the Sea Org, but when I took off from Santa Barbara, I got on a Greyhound. I went right there, got you know, got on the station and took off. And I had a hamburger often at the stations. So, yeah, I've done that. Do you agree that the existence of Funyuns is a sign of the apocalypse? No, Funyuns are on my list of approved side dishes that I can have with almost anything. But I will say that uh, fiery hot Cheetos definitely do worry me when it comes to the advance of civilization. Would you be creeped out by a random mattress laying out behind a Long John Silver? Random mattresses freak me out no matter where they are, especially when you see them in trees. Do you like to eat squid? Absolutely not. There is uh, a deep, deep aversion in my mouth to anything squiddy, squishy, sea-like, or, you know, slimy in any way. I just don't. Nope. 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 Do you have a favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie? Well, I was looking over Van Damme's uh, movie uh, list, and I have to say that it's a hard choice. I mean, Bloodsport is kind of a classic in the martial arts world, and Cyborg, which followed a year later, is kind of, I mean, it was hard to top Bloodsport, but Cyborg, you know, kind of did it. And then, of course, the next year we come in, actually the same year, we come in with Kickboxer. I mean, that was direct competition to, and, 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 and clearly the next step up from Bloodsport. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, Death Warrant Double Impact, where he got to play himself or play twins, that was pretty, that was, that was a risk. I mean, he was really going out on a limb on that one. So Double Impact is, is kind of there. But I think I'm going to settle on Universal Soldier, which I believe was his first outing with Dolph Lundgren. And uh, that is, uh, that was sort of like Cyborg on steroids. So I think I'll take Universal Soldier. Have you written any type of fan fiction? No. How often do you cry? Pretty much every time I see a Pixar movie. What's the stupidest reason that you've seen someone get declared for? Quite honestly, it might be a shorter answer if I were to tell you how many things people have been declared for that were smart reasons. And if you, if you kind of get my drift, there are no uh, SP declares that make any logical or reasonable sense. What is Halloween like in the Sea Org? Super boring. Um, we don't dress up. We didn't really have a whole lot of fun with that. There was sometimes a Halloween evening sort of event put on, on in, in pack in, the, in Big Blue with some street activities, but it was really just another excuse to try to rake money in from people. Halloween was not really a very celebrated uh, holiday in the Sea Org. What does flattening out of session mean? 
this is a weird one because what it means is that you're trying to take a process that you have started in a session and flatten it outside of a session. And this is very, very minutiae. This is super, super, super minutiae because this is something I hardly ever heard of. I barely recognize the phrase. It's not something that's used in very often in Scientology. Most of the time when you go into an auditing session, you're going to be flattening the process, meaning you're going to run it until it's no longer producing a change or a result in the person. Um, and you're going to get it to a flat spot. And a flat spot doesn't necessarily mean you're completely finished with the process. It means for right now, you've reached a spot where there's no more change or nothing else happening. But if you were to continue running it, you would run into more trouble. You'd have more stuff come up and then you'd have to run through that. So auditing tends to be this activity where you're asking questions that turn on responses that get like these weird kind of mental or physical reactions. You keep running the process until that flattens until and then you keep going and turn on something else and turn on something else until you get to a point where it's not really turning on much of anything and the person has had a release, a cognition, feels very good, etc. So that's kind of how auditing is supposed to work. So flattening something out of session means that you're going to get something that you started in a session flattened out, out of session. And that's that's not something that is really a routine, normal activity in Scientology. So, um, so I'm really wondering what the context of that was, because I actually can't remember right now where that would be, um, how that would apply. What is the rock slam? Okay, this is a meter response on the uh, electropsychometer or Scientology's e-meter. You have the needle, which moves around on a dial, and it can do a number of things. It can fall, it can rise, it can float, where the needle just kind of idly drifts in a rhythmic fashion back and forth. Or it can start doing a rock slam. <laughs> and a rock slam is when the needle is slamming back and forth on the dial too fast for you to see. It actually looks like a blur. I mean, it, it looks weird. And it's what it is, is it's actually an indication of a broken meter. <laughs> you get some dust in the carbon pot or in the mechanism, or you get something dirty in there or some dirt builds up and the needle just starts kind of going a little wild. Hubbard said that there is a mental phenomena also behind a rock slam. Um, which is a hidden evil intention on the subject that the person's talking about when the rock slam turns on. So if I'm in an auditing session and the auditor is sitting there and the needle starts, you know, doing this rock slam, the first thing the auditor has to do is unplug the meter quietly so the person doesn't notice and check and make sure the meter itself is not broken. Because uh, often you'll unplug it and it'll still be going and you'll be like, oh, it's the meter, right? And you plug it back in and now you got to replace the meter. This is the reason why you're supposed to have two meters in an auditing session is so if your meter breaks, you have another one you can pull over. Um, I have done a little bit more research on this and have uh, not been able to find a single instance of a valid mentally caused rock slam. It appears to me that it is always based on a broken e-meter. And every single person in Scientology who has ever had one of those rock slams turn on has 
had consequences to that rock slam. They have it has been noted in their folder, and they are told, or it is somehow communicated to them that there is a, you know, that they have evil intentions on whatever it is that they were talking about at the moment that the meter broke. And this is laid on them. And and people have gone to the RPF for this in Scientology. A lot of people. Um, not, you know, not a, not a small number. So, um, this has had pretty dire grave consequences for a number of people. Um, but that, that's what a rock slime is. What is an ARC break? All right. An ARC break is a term that is used in Scientology to indicate some kind of an upset or, um, kerfuffle or, uh, problem of some kind between people. Hubbard says that ARC is a triangle of affinity, reality, and communication. So affinity is the degree of liking or closeness to something. How close you want to be to a thing is how much affinity you have for it. The more affinity you have, the more you want to be closer to it or you don't mind proximity to the thing. Uh, There's a liking or love. It's another word for that. Then you have reality, which is agreement between people, as Hubbard defines it. Reality is basically agreement. You and I both agree that there's a light over there, and therefore there's a light over there. This is what is, is, is Hubbard's idea of, of what is real. And then there is communication, which is the ways and means that we go about getting ideas back and forth to each other, whether it's written, spoken, you know, verbal or nonverbal, whatever. Um, an ARC break is when you have established some degree of affinity, reality, and communication with somebody, and then there's a severance or a break in that, right? You get pissed off. You don't want to talk anymore. Bugger off, you know? Fuck off, that kind of thing. That's an ARC break. And you have to use, you know, more communication, increase the reality, boost the affinity in order to resolve the ARC break. And this is, this is very workable and very usable in a number of human interactions and circumstances. People have found the ARC triangle to be quite useful in analyzing where they screwed up or where there might be a breakdown in communication or in a relationship. But there are so many curves and nonsense mixed up with it because human behavior is far more complicated than reducing it down to these three simpleton components that um, Scientologists often get into all kinds of trouble trying to use this ARC triangle to resolve these so-called ARC breaks. Um, and that's the, the human behavior is a lot more complicated and doesn't resolve by just breaking it down to simple Simon rules like an ARC triangle. So philosophically and sort of, you know, it, it's an idea that kind of works from time to time, but Scientologists will take it way too far in how, how applicable they find the ARC triangle in life. What is a platen? A platen is a piece of paper or cardboard or plastic that is laid over another piece of paper, and the plastic or, or cardboard, the platen, has holes or lines cut in it, so you can see certain words on the page below, but not all the words. It only highlights certain bits. So let's say I give you, let's say I want to keep something secret or confidential. So I give you a piece of paper that's got a bunch of gibberish all over it, and then I give you, and you can't make heads or tails of it, but then I give you a platen that goes over it, and it hold, it has holes that indicate which letters or which words you should read in which order. The platen is, so it's a coding kind of thing, really. It's a way of keeping things secret in plain sight. 
And this is platins are used as part of the delivery of the OT levels in, in solo auditing in Scientology. What is the Sunshine Rundown? Basically, it's taking a walk. Um, after you've achieved the state of clear, you are given instructions to go walk around in your new state and appreciate the environment around you by look, looking around and noticing things that you haven't really noticed before. I can't remember what the exact command on it was. It was something like walk around in the environment and basically just look at things in a new, you know, as a clear now and from this new vantage point. And there was something else with it I can't remember right now, but it wasn't very significant. It was really just a matter of taking a walk and congratulating yourself is what was really happening there. But Hubbard uses language that makes it sound like you're doing some mental process in walking around uh, admiring yourself. <laughs> what are the expanded grades? Okay, the grades are a series of processes that are run in order to achieve a specific result. Grades have to do with particular subject matter. So grade zero, which is where it begins, has to do with communication. Grade one has to do with problems. Grade two has to do with sins or overts and withholds and what bad things you do, moral transgressions. Uh, grade three has to do with ARC breaks or problems or um, uh, upsets, right, uh, with people. Change is the, is the main thing that you're addressing with grade three. And grade four has to do with being right and service facsimiles, which is another Scientology term for the urge we have to be right when we are clearly wrong and the urge to try to gain sympathy for being a victim or for being in a bad state. This is something Hubbard calls a service facsimile and it's frowned upon in Scientology and is considered something that you need to get auditing on in order to handle so you don't have this compulsion to be right all the time. Um, yeah, it would have been wonderful if Hubbard had received some of that, by the way. So the expanded grades are where there was a period of time where in the 1960s, Hubbard developed these grades and he developed this grade chart and he put these together. And then in the 1980s, they expanded the grades, maybe in the 1970s, but definitely by the 80s. And by expanded, I mean that it started out, here's a little technical minutia for you about Scientology. Um, the auditing that was done in the 1960s and, and through the, some of the 70s was, was um, three-flow auditing. Okay, so in, in Scientology auditing, you have what are called flows. And these are ways of, these are directions that, um, that an action can take, basically, okay? So the flows break down, there are three, there, there are now four, that's the expanded part, but the original three flows were me to you, you, and then, then the next flow, flow one, flow one was me to you, flow two is you to me, and flow three is others to others. So you can apply this to almost anything. So let's say I'm talking about, we're going to do some auditing on the subject of stealing an apple. So the question might be, have I ever stolen an apple from another? Flow one, me to another. I'm, I'm stealing the apple from somebody else. That's a flow one. And we might run questions on a flow one where my mind is directed toward incidents of me doing something to somebody else. That's flow one. Flow two is them doing it to me. So the question might change from me stealing an apple to times when others have stolen an apple from me. 
And that would be flow two. And I'd be running times, you know, recalling times, talking about times when other people stole my apples. Because that would piss me off too, right? It's not just flow one where I'm doing things to other people, but also, hey, you know, what about me? I'm the victim here sometimes too. And that can rile up and upset a person. And it can also be connected to the flow one actions the person did. Then you have flow three, where others are doing things to others, and you're just the observer. Your mother is stealing an apple from your father. Your friend is stealing an apple from the store, and you're standing there watching it, right? So you would run incidents of that happening, where you observed others doing that thing. And it doesn't have to be stealing apples. It can be anything, whether it's hitting somebody over the head with a rock. Um, then that turns into being hit in the head with a rock. Then that turns in flow three to others hitting others in the head with rocks. So the grades, all the processes or a ton of the processes that are on the grades um, were run on these flows. Okay, so you might recall a time when um, you didn't communicate well with another. That could be a valid auditing command. Recall a time you didn't communicate well with another. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, sure, a time when I was five years old. Okay, great. Recall another time when you didn't communicate well with another. And you might run this over and over and over again. You just keep asking the question, recall a time, you know, or giving the command, recall a time when um, you didn't communicate well with another. And the guy talks and talks and talks about times he screwed up communicating with other people until he has a realization about life. His needle is floating. He's, like, feeling good. That would be a, a flow one of a process on not communicating well with others. Then you would go on to flow two. Recall a time others didn't communicate well with you. Right? Comes back to you, that flow. And you recall that over and over and over again until you have the realization, needle floating, you feel good. Then the next question on the same process would be, recall a time others didn't communicate well with others. Flow three, right? And this is how the grades were run on through, for years, this is how on these three flows. So then in the 70s or 80s, like I said, I can't remember exactly when, Hubbard expanded it to four flows. And the fourth flow, flow zero, is you doing it to yourself. So recall a time in this process that I was just giving you, flow zero would be recall a time you didn't communicate well with yourself. And that's the expanded grades. So here we have um, David Miscavige sending people back down, sending people back earlier to, to redo stuff that they've already done. But guess what? The earlier beginning on this was L. Ron Hubbard doing the exact same thing with these flows, because when the expanded grades came out, everybody got sent back down to do them and, and expand their grades, right? Full flesh out or fill out their grades. And a bunch of people had to pay for a bunch of auditing to go back and get flow zero checked and run on all these processes, even after they had finished all the grades. So that's how that was kind of implemented. It was, a, it was an excuse for a money grab. And um, but the technical explanations for it all were these flows, and that's what expanded the grades, and that's why they're called expanded grades. And that was probably way more of an answer than you expected, but it is the technically correct answer from Scientology scriptures. What do you think David Miscavige's credit score is? Probably perfect. 
Do you think David Copperfield is creepy? A little. I mean, that whole thing with the Statue of Liberty was a little weird. Have you ever cried at a movie? Often. I'm like that. Are you scared of midgets? Scared of them? No. No, I'm not scared of midgets. <laughs> Including Miscavige. <laughs> Do you think Tom Cruise has a large collection of vintage swords and knives? I don't know that he does, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. In fact, it would be par for the course for somebody like Cruz to have that. But then again, I would have that too. Does the idea of a composting toilet disturb you? To be honest, I didn't know what a composting toilet was until I heard this question. I went and looked it up. Um, no, it doesn't really disturb me. Not my first choice in uh, toilet wear, but, um, you know, if, 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 it, if it works for you. Do you think that it's a good idea or a bad idea to hand out energy drinks and set off fireworks at the Special Olympics? Travis, I think that's a horrible question, and you should be ashamed for even thinking it. Of course you shouldn't. Would you eat at a restaurant that has a large picture of Steven Seagal hanging in the dining room? I could see myself being overly distracted by something like that. If it was a hard rock cafe situation or something where there's lots of pictures of lots of movie stars or something or action stars or whatever, I might be okay with that. But if it was just a shrine to Seagal, yeah, I probably wouldn't be frequenting that restaurant. How much money would you need to be paid to wear tap out branded t-shirts on your shows or in your everyday life? I don't really have anything against tap out branded clothing, so I think I'd be pretty cheap as far as a sponsor for that. How do you think David Miscavige would do in a freestyle rap battle? I think David Miscavige would be lost, utterly lost like a little child in a freestyle rap battle. I would pay good money to watch him try. That would be hilarious. He would be horrible at it. What would you name a rock band composed of the following members? Aaron Smith-Levin, you, Tori Magoo, and Jeffrey Augustine. I would name you guys the Afterthoughts. I don't know. It might be a little bit much, but I would call us the Avengers. <laughs> Did you ever know any Scientologists who were on steroids? No, I didn't actually. Um, I knew a person who was a bodybuilder, personal coach type guy who I believe had taken steroids, but he wasn't currently on steroids when he was doing his Scientology work back in Santa Barbara. Which is better in your opinion, Doritos or Cheetos? This is tough because I can't have just one of either of those. I'm a big Cheetos fan and a big Doritos fan. But if I had to choose one, I would, do to re I would have to choose Doritos. What if someone just started yelling curse words in an auditing session? What would happen? That happens all the time. The session would just continue. Would you participate in a riot? Well, my goofy answer to this is that I might participate in a riot against the Anti-Riot League, <laughs> but I don't really see myself ever in a situation where I'm part of a riot. Um, I think I would walk away or be far away from something like that before it would happen because that's the most irrational thing you could ever be involved in. 
if I found myself in a riot situation, I would try my hardest and my absolute best to get myself and as many other people to safety as I could. And that's my honest answer on that. Do you think the music of Enya counts as torture under any reasonable definition of the word? <laughs> I think for some people it would, yeah. I used to be a huge Enya fan, like huge, and um, had all her albums, listened to it all the time. Uh, this back in, uh, in the early 90s when she was really coming up big, as, as I was a big Enya fan, and... I can see now why people would look back on it and go, wow, that really wasn't all that after all. But I still appreciate the aesthetic of it, to be honest with you. So I, I really don't think of that as torture. Who do you think would win in a fight between David Miscavige and Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones? I honestly think Dinklage could take him. What do you think about tie-dyed kung fu uniforms? I think that sounds like a brilliant innovation and exactly what the martial arts world has been waiting for. Are you creeped out by David Blaine? A little, yeah. He does stuff that completely puzzles me. I know the guy is an illusionist, but Jesus, how does he do some of the stuff he does? It is, I just love stuff like that. But yeah, he's a little, yeah, he's a little creepy. <laughs> Is competitive eating a sign of a decaying culture in your mind, or is it a fun way for people to compete with each other? Oh, it is absolutely a sign of the apocalypse. No question about it. If you were forced to go to prison, which country, state, or territory would you choose to serve time in if you were given that option? There is actually no question about this question. There is the, the, I would want to go to Halden Prison in Norway. It is the most humanitarian facility ever designed for the incarceration and rehabilitation of criminals. And it is an impressive facility and quite honestly, one that you might want to Google and check out. That's the Halden prison in Norway. And that is absolutely where I would want to go if I was ever put in prison. Okay, guys, that was our bonus episode for this week. Those are all of Travis's flash answer questions in one go. I'm sure he will send me more. I'm sure some of those were fun and others were meh, but I got a chance to tell you guys a little bit of Scientology and have a little bit of fun at the same time and do it in the middle of the week. So, you know, you get what you pay for. <laughs> All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. And I will see you as usual for uh, Critical Conversations on Friday, podcasting on Saturday, and Critical Q&A, the real one on Sunday. All right, guys. See ya. Bye.